just kind of join with me. You can even open your Bible while we're praying. It just means we're in unity together, so praise the Lord. <laughs> but let's pray. God, we thank you that we can gather here and read from your word to discover more about you. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this place. We pray that you would be honored in this place. We thank you for the team that has, has led us into worship, has already been singing scripture and your word in this place. We pray that that would just embed in our hearts and continue. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, everyone, you should have got one of those cards. If you didn't get one of those cards, just pop your hand up real quick. I'll have someone bring it up to you. Perfect. Thank you. Would you guys put your hands together for the worship team this morning? I also love seeing Davis is back there mixing sound. Can you guys thank Davis and Gail? I'm not sure what Matthew's doing, but he is also back there. That's the first time I've never seen him taller than anyone. So there he is. He's just, he's probably sitting on the floor. <laughs> That's the only way, only way he's lower than anybody. But we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. And I love John chapter 4 because Jesus is illustrating through his actions that it's time for the harvest. And I want to say this morning that the harvest is here. And I want to, I really, I don't have like a bunch of anecdotes. It's just, it's basically all scripture this morning because I want to get through like 38 verses. So it's a lot. But um, I want to say this morning that the harvest is here. Can you turn to your neighbor and say the harvest is here? Perfect. That's like the first of many times I'm going to ask you to do something like that. So be prepared. You're going to get to know the person next to you. So hopefully you chose wisely and do not supremely dislike the person next to you. If there's no one next to you, you can move. It's all right, Matt. How's it going? <laughs> but this morning, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4 because I believe that Jesus is illustrating uh, this shift in the attitude for his disciples and for the church to really adjust their understanding uh, that we are called to a harvest. And I, and I want to spend time really diving through what exactly is he saying in a culture shift that the harvest is here. And take it from an abstract sense or an abstract idea or an abstract principle and condense it down for what am I going to do Monday. And I believe that he's given us instructions. So we're going to read a couple chunks of scripture. But I'm going to start in John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. Before I do that, I'm going to grab my coffee. Thank you, John in the cafe. Praise Praise Jesus. Thank John. That's what I meant. But let's read in John chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. That's a whole other sermon. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he leaves Judea, goes to Galilee, and now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, correct me later about that, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. And I want you to key in on verse 4 here, because we're going to focus on real quick. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Somebody say through perfect. He had to go through Samaria. Has anyone ever had to go through Samaria? Has anyone ever had to go through something that you would never choose on your own? Like you would never pick this scenario, these people, this place, this instance. Has anyone ever had to go through something? So Jesus is going through Samaria. And I think sometimes in our life, we have to go through things that we would never choose, right? 
And we have to go through places that we would never really ideally want to be. And it's funny because then the pastor will kind of get up and be like, you got to invite your coworkers and your friends. And you're like, invite my coworkers. Like, I'm just praying they don't kill me by Friday. Like, my work environment is hostile and difficult. I'm going through something. Uh, I, I think oftentimes, like, this, this mentality of, uh, I hope I make it through what I'm going through. And we can sometimes be places that we'd say, man, I, I wouldn't choose that. And that for us is really our Samaria. And I want to explain Samaria a little bit here because I think the context is important. Is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So why, was that, why is that a big deal? Um, and so I want to give historical context. That Samaria is basically, this is geogra geographical here, is a mountainous region and it's between Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. And so in order to continue on the journey, uh, Jesus had to go through this place rather than get around it or, or go by it. It just, he had to go through it. It was physically uh, unlikely he was going to get around it. He had to go through it. And this area, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they lived in conflict with each other. They lived in conflict. They lived uh, competing both religiously, politically, all of these things. They lived in complete conflict with one another. And I know this is history, but some of you guys love history. And I think this is good because it informs our understanding. Good. Are we good with history this morning? Good. Perfect. Darren's raising his hand. Thank you, Darren. Um, but after, here's kind of how it goes. If you've read in any of the Old Testament or not, there's... At one point in time, Israel divides into two kingdoms. And you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so you have Israel and you have Judah, northern and southern. It, they were divided. And so in that time, King Omri of the northern kingdom, he basically goes to this hill of Samaria and he, puts a, he establishes the capital. So there were, everybody was together. Then they split and the northern group establishes a new capital, a new place to worship, a new place uh, to, to, to lift up praise to their God in Samaria. And this is in complete conflict or opposition to obviously Judah and where they worship and where they believe they're supposed to worship. And these two kingdoms, they don't make it a long time. And the northern kingdom falls first. And the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrians. The Assyrians take away all the rich uh, uh, Jewish people, the rich Israelites, the people that they felt like were worth committing to their society. And they leave behind everybody that they think can work the earth, isn't worth taking. Does that make sense? And so then what would happen is they would bring all of these people from Assyria to intermingle and make more kids with the people pre-existing. So this is happening. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom's still going. They get captured. They get taken over in um, 600. So basically like 100 years later, they get taken over as well. They all get taken away. So now north kingdom, all their people have been taken away. And the people that remained intermixed, remarried, worshipped idols, served different gods than God. The southern kingdom is like, man, we're not in it with those northern kingdoms. We would never do that. Then the southern kingdom gets taken away. What happens, and this is really cool, if you ever read uh, Nehemiah, what happens is that 70 years later, a remnant of 43,000 people get to return to rebuild the walls, rebuild Jerusalem. 
and there's debate, right, whether or not these people that were taken and intermingled or stay intermingled, like who's truly Jewish, like who truly is, is the Hebrew, who truly belongs here, and so there's conflict. And so the people that had stayed in the north come to this new group of 43,000 because they're so excited. You've come back. You're going to rebuild the temple. We want to help you rebuild the temple. We're with you. And they're like, no, no, no. You are a mongrel race of mixed people, and we don't want you helping us. And so they do what every person does. It's like, great, if you're not going to let us help you build the temple, we're going to fight against you. We're going to do everything to fight against you ever rebuilding the, the place that you worship. And so this is the Samaritans to the north fighting the Jewish people to the south, and they're disagreeing, uh, and they don't want to work together. And one sees the other as, as like a half-breed or a mixed breed, and it's violent. It's, it's racially charged terminology. It's politically charged. It's, it's, a, it's in conflict to one another. Even right before Jesus is born, right, in, it, in the war, um, in the Maccabean Wars, there's, uh, the Samaritans align with one army. The, the Jews, obviously, are fighting them. And the Jewish people go in to the Samaritan temple and just desecrate it, destroy it, crush the land, right, because they won. And that's what you do when you win is you destroy the other people's things. That's the bad part of war. Counterpoint, right before Jesus' birth, like right before his birth, the Samaritans come in to the temple and they bring in uh, body, uh, dead body parts and bones, and they scatter them around the temple. And, like, I don't think we necessarily have to think, like, man, was that, was that a big deal to them? I just think, let's picture, if somebody came in here on Saturday and just, just scattered dead body parts, we would think that's a huge deal, right? And, and I don't think we even have to go historically that far back. We can just go to the south and see what was done to black churches and what was done by members of the KKK to bring in all this violence against, to burn them down. Think of that tension, but for thousands of years, right? A long time for centuries. And so I'm saying all this to not like give us a profound history lesson, but to say that Jesus isn't walking into another country and saying like, oh, yeah, you know, this is like, it's kind of tense. Like they root for a different football team than we root for. It's like, oh, yeah, they're Steelers fans. No, this is like, this is a complete distancing. The only reason we're not killing each other is because there is an authority that will kill more of us reigning over us in the Roman Empire. And we just, we don't want to get killed more. That's really the only reason we're not killing them and they're not killing us. So this is the kind of tension that exists when Jesus goes through it. And I love about Jesus is that he, he just seems unfazed by walking into conflict. In fact, it's like he looks for it. People are like, hey, Jesus, why don't we go around? And he's like, no, you know, it might get a little stormy, but let's just take the boat and go. <laughs> like, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. Because Jesus... He understands that sometimes our harvest is not in what we're going to, but what we're going through. And that Jesus' perspective is regardless of what I'm going through, if I have a heart for the harvest, I'm going to see a harvest for the kingdom. And so Jesus walks in to this mess. And I like the scripture said, it's not that he had to get by or get around, but that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had a heart for the harvest. And I want to say many times what we're going through might be our biggest harvest if we really truly 
have a heart for the harvest. And again, I like that Jesus didn't pick a, a small thing to emphasize this. It's not like Jesus is going through like a little trial. This is centuries of conflict. So he's saying, even in the worst conflict where the average person would say, there's no way, there's no way I'm just going to like fix relations between these two countries, right? Jesus walks into that and he says, I see a harvest. Where you see a wall, I see a harvest. Have you guys ever walked through a harvest field? I, I remember this the first time I ever really like went to a farm as an adult. Like I remember going as a kid but as an adult and I, I was wearing like what I thought were like appropriate boots for harvest fields. It is not. On a good day, a harvest field is beautiful. It, I don't know, at least the ones I've seen. It's like corn and you can feel the wind going through. On a bad day, it's like knee-deep mud. Not like the kind of mud that you can kind of move through, but the kind that kills a Treyu in the never-ending story. Like the kind that just sucks people down. Like if you're going through a corn maze and someone goes down, they're gone. Leave them. That's where they live now. <laughs> That's their new home. Wait till they dry out. We'll crust them out in there and then we'll <laughs> send them home. But... It's the real mud. It's muddy. It's dirty. It's filthy. Jesus has no illusions about how crazy, dirty, muddy a harvest field can get. And so Jesus, because he has no disillusions about it, he has no problem walking into it because he understands what's going to happen to him when he's in the field. And sometimes we miss the harvest because it looks like hardship. And Jesus is saying, don't miss the harvest because it looks like hardship. Right? Don't miss the harvest. We're like, God, why am I getting so dirty doing your work? I thought I was in alignment with you. And he's like, you are in alignment with me. You are on the mission. You are in the harvest. But guess what? The harvest is full of mud. It's full of, you know what they make, you know what makes mud better? Poop. <laughs> and so when water comes up, the ground stays. The poop rises. <laughs> you know, like, it's, and that's what you're going through. And so he's saying, don't be surprised. This is my first message and I'm going to say, it's fine. I don't care. <laughs> don't be surprised if when you're in the harvest you get a little crap on you. And so Jesus walks into the mix of that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Thank you, Jesus. His grace is renewed every day. <laughs> and I want to say this morning, you can't choose your Samaria. Some of you have had to or currently walking through parts of your life that are physically un avoidable. And you cannot choose your Samaria, but you can choose to see it as a harvest. And I want to tell you, you can see the some of the greatest harvest in your life for the kingdom if you see it as a harvest and you don't miss it because it's a hardship. Does that make sense this morning? I want to ask some of you, what is your Samaria? What is your Samaria? What are you walking through? See, in order for Jesus to get where he needed to be, he had to go through Samaria. Some of you guys, you're going through something this morning that is your Samaria. And I'm not preaching this message to say you should diminish the weight of the thing you're going to, but to say Christ can bring hope to every situation. And how he brings hope even amidst the hardship, even amidst Samaria, is to bring a harvest. When Jesus is exhausted, he sits down. What revives him? is the harvest. Let's read John 4, 7 through 17. It says this, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, <clears throat> Jesus said to her, 
will you give me a drink? It says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? This is the equivalent. How can you ask me for a drink is the equivalent of, huh? That is the like long poetic equivalent of like, what? So roll with me there. Is that Jesus says, can I have a drink? And she's like, huh? And he says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given living water. So, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his son and livestock? Says Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become, sorry, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. So remember, Jesus is coming in, and not only would it be heavily frowned upon, but it would have been totally rejected by his society, by his group, by his culture, to even talk to a Samaritan man. Now, here's a Samaritan woman, and as we'll find out in, sec in a second, is not necessarily what I would call the mayor of Samaria. And she is in total conflict conflict in so many parts of her being to him as a Jewish rabbinical figure who is, you know, striving to be this um, visual example of holiness. And he comes across someone who is in total conflict with him. And all of these things that we would be surprised about, he flips on us, which I love. Because what he's showing us right here is that nobody on this earth is beyond both hearing and receiving the gospel and giving the gospel. Let me get ahead of myself because this is really important to me. <laughs> is that this encounter with Jesus is meant to shake our understanding of who we believe deserves to hear and who we believe is equipped to share the gospel. And the woman's shocked. She says, how can you ask me for a drink? And it says, Jesus says he'll give her living water. And I like the NLT version uh, of this phrase. It says, but you don't have a rope or a bucket. Some versions use jar, some use vessel. Vessel feels like a little dressed up for me because it's a bucket. This is like, I feel like a bucket is like the most non-beautiful kind of thing you can own because anything goes in a bucket. It's just like this thing. It's not glorious. It's like you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get this living water? How are you going to, what are you going to put this living water in, Jesus? What are you going to put this in? Because you, you don't have a bucket. I want to say this morning, Jesus is looking for a bucket. Jesus says to her, I don't need a bucket. I don't need a, a vessel. I don't need a jar. I don't need this physical thing because you are the vessel. You are the bucket. You are what I'm going to pour the living water into. See, you think that you have to have something. You have to gain something. You have to possess something in order to receive the living water. Let me just tell you, I'm going to put it into you, and you're going to be my bucket. And she's confused, right? She doesn't realize that what she's encountering is the source. She doesn't realize she's the one who's going to get filled up. See, what happens is every day this woman she takes her bucket and she goes out to the well 
And as she's walking, she's thinking, right, all these things, all these things about her life. And she goes and she goes to the source and she gets the water and she brings it back and she drinks it and it sustains her, but it runs out. A great way to know that you are not at the real source is to know if it runs out. And so she goes day after day and she'd bring it back and to, to the town to, to refresh her and the guy she's with. And she would bring this water back to refresh them and restore them and sustain them. And Jesus is transforming everything she identified with and saying, listen, you've been going to the source and bringing it back. But I'm going to change it and say, you can be filled from the source that never runs out. And I love this is that, is that the city, part of the life of the city at the time is, is relying on someone to bring you back something from the source. Right, is, is relying on someone to go to the water and bring it back. And this was her role, to, to go to the source and bring it back. Which we'll see in a second she does in an eternal sense. But it reframes it to say, look, I, I know you've been looking for this, for this singular thing. That this singular thing. And you think that I need to get a bucket to go from this well. Because you hold the promises of Jacob. You hold on to the promises of, of these past people. And you're standing on that. But I'm going to make you a bucket. I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to fill you to the brim. And then you can take that back to the dry land and begin to pour it out. He's reestablishing her identity. And what I love about Jesus is that when he fills you, when you are the bucket, when you are the vessel, when you are what he fills, it's bottomless, right? I feel like bottomless things for the most part are a lie. Like, I have some friends that can eat. And I've seen a couple times on like bottomless ribs or like bottomless soup that there kind of is a bottom. It, it, tur it turns out to look like judgment on the waiter's face, and then they feel bad, so they don't keep going. But they're like, really, another? Uh, are you sure? And then it takes like 45 minutes to even get it out. There's a, there is a bottom on literally everything except the living water of God. The living water of God is bottomless. So when Christ fills you up, this doesn't mean you need to get uh, uh, restored and encouraged and, and have your faith restored. It, but it means when the living water of the Lord comes to you, when he pours it out to you, and all of that hope and all of that truth and all of that goodness and all of that love, that there's never a point where you can be like, oh, I poured out too much and now I'm out. Like I'm out of living water because he fills you up. And so when we talk about uh, this idea of, of being a bucket, I, I think it's interesting because instantly all of these things start to rise up in us. See, if I say, if I pick someone next to you and said that person, you know, is, is a bucket, like you are meant to be full of the living water of God and to go out and to share that, you're like, yeah, that sounds awesome for them. But when I say it about you, when I say you're supposed to be full of the living water of God and, and, it's, and it's to the brim and it's overflowing and Jesus says it transforms into a spring that wells up and you pour that out to people, what comes to our brain is joy and then like sorrow because all of the insecurity, all of these identity things, all of these words that we have begin to come up and we begin to start disqualifying ourselves and we think like, I'm not qualified for this. And this is what the woman does. I'm not qualified for this. And Jesus says, you know, listen, I, I, I've come to encounter you where you are, but not leave you there because your insecurities do not define the limit of you being a bucket. The bucket is not glorious. We know that it's what goes in it that's glorious. The bucket is not qualified. The bucket is not perfect. The bucket is not a beautiful vessel. Like, 
It's qualified because the living water goes inside of it. And so our insecurities begin to come up. Our, our past begins to come up. And Jesus is like, no. He shuts it down and he says, listen, I'm not looking for perfect. I'm looking for a bucket. And I like what he does here with, with this woman because Jesus lovingly encounters us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. Let's read together John 4, 16. It says, he told her, go back, call your husband, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. It says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and the truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. See, what I love is that Jesus doesn't choose those to use based on how messy or clean that they are. See, Jesus, he's using the scripture not to shame her. He's using this moment not to shame her, but to say, listen, I know you and I know your heart and I still want to fill you with the living water. And let's be real, the things he's calling out aren't great things. Hey, you've had five husbands, and the person you're with now is not your husband. At the time, I mean, even now this would be kind of like a weird thing to have a conversation with a total stranger about. Uh, somebody you're in political and religious conflict is bringing up all these deep things. And it says later that he told her everything, so he obviously told her more than even this. And what I love is that Jesus kind of brings it up and leaves it. And he's like, it's true. But he doesn't hammer it. He doesn't hit on it. He doesn't shame her with it, right? He doesn't bring it up and just kind of like rail, like, how could you do this? How could you live this way? How could you ever make those stupid decisions, right? He doesn't rail on that. He brings it up, and he encounters her where she is, and then basically says, like, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to let you go back to that the way you are. I'm going to change your heart. And I feel like this should comfort us. This morning, if you came into this place and there are things that you carry around in your heart that are shame, know this. I'm not saying sweep them under the rug. But I'm saying that his mission is greater than your mess. And so if you take those things and you allow Jesus to convict your heart and to bring them out, to bring them out into the light, to bring them out into hope, to bring them out and to say, hey, I'm just going to leave these at your feet. Then you'll see transformation. You won't see shame. Psalm 34, 5 says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And man, I, I don't even have this in my notes, but I'm going to say, how often I have seen people struggle to feel like they can do ministry and be a part of ministry and, and, and be a part of ministering to people. And I was even thinking this week, 
uh, you know, all the people that I, I've counseled, like, after the fact. And what comes out is there's all these things in our heart and all this shame, and we don't bring it out. And then we're wondering why we're disconnected, why we don't feel like we're supposed to be, and why we, we're not sure our purpose, and we're not sure all these things. And Jesus is saying, listen, my mission is greater than your mess, but you got to take the mess, and you got to put it at my feet and say, enough of this. And she goes back to the mess. She says, well, you know, your people say we're supposed to worship here, and my people say we're supposed to worship. She begins to put that divide in. You know, I one time church did this to me, and so I don't know if I can ever trust church again. Right? One time someone said this or, or did this to me, and I just don't know if I can ever do that again. And Jesus is like, you know what, listen, lay that at my feet. Lay that down and see that I will not use you for the harvest. Because your mess is not greater than his mission. And we need a church. Can I tell you, we need a church that is full of buckets from every kind of mess. Right? Every time I meet with somebody, somebody says, oh, man, I, I know this. I think this way. I interact this way. And I'm like, great. Be a great bucket because we need all kinds of people. A church full of people like me would be a nightmare. <laughs> and from my past would be ineffective. Your mess can fuel your mission if it's at the feet of Jesus. If it's on your shoulders, it's just going to drag you down in the mud and we're going to lose you in the maze. What matters is that you lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, this mess is not going to dictate my mission because God has called me not to be perfect, but to be a bucket. I'm on the road to sanctification. I might have got off the freeway a little later than everyone else did, it feels like. But you know what? Like, I'm going to get filled up and I'm going to pour out because God has called me to be a bucket. John 4, 27 through 29 says, I'm just going through this real fast. This is all the scripture today. Uh, 27 says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Okay, this is a total segue. Don't you think it's interesting how we are always surprised who Jesus decides to talk to? Can we not, can we say banner church, we don't disqualify somebody. We just believe Jesus uses everybody. And so anybody can come in here. I don't care where you came from what you came from, what you're in right now, what you got to leave to face. Jesus can use everybody. And so we don't disqualify. Anyways, side note. But it says right here, I love it. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? The other thing we really learned from this woman this morning is to leave behind your jar Leave your jar behind. See, this jar is what she used to sustain herself. And I talked about this a little earlier, but I just want to make sure we realize she leaves it behind. This is her mission. Up till now, this is her mission, her job, her life, her existence, her purpose is I got to get water from here to here. I have to bring it or else people don't drink. And I, I'm not a scientist, but if you don't drink water, you die. I feel like decently um, have enough authority to make that claim. That if you don't drink water, you're going to die. And so this is her purpose. But what happens is she leaves it behind. And this is what I want to say. When you find the source, leave behind the substitute. Right? When you find the source of hope, leave behind the substitute. When you find true love, the love of Jesus that is unending, that cannot be separated, nothing can separate you from the love of God, leave behind the broken love. 
Leave behind the love that hurt you. Leave behind the things that, that came in and, and attacked you under the name of love that wasn't real love. Leave your jar behind. That's not going to sustain you. You can keep going back to the same jar of the same person that you keep trusting your heart to that keeps breaking it, and you can go to the well. But I tell you, there is a moment where that runs out, and you're just going to go back. And then you're going to get more, and then you're going to go back. And I'm going to say again, if it runs out, it's a false source, right? It's a counterfeit. If the hope you have runs out, it's a counterfeit. If the love you have runs out, it's a counterfeit. I'm not saying like we don't lose hope <laughs> or feel unloved or lack those things. But if you're going to a source and that source is not giving you something that lasts eternally, it's false. doesn't matter how big this pile of money is, it will run out. It will fade, it will die, it will go away. It's not eternal. It can't give you hope. It's not the source. So you can keep coming back with your jar to that source, but it's not going to work. It's not going to give you hope. And so Jesus is saying, leave behind your bucket. Has anyone ever gone back to the well of anxiety and insecurity over and over again? Sometimes we go back to sources that aren't even good. We just go back over and over. We're just dipping into the well of insecurity. Ah, this is who I am. This is how I'm, I was made. I'm just going back to this source. And then I bring it back. And then I kind of like live in it. And then I'm like, ah, you know, I need a little bit more. And we go back and forth. And Jesus is saying this morning that a church that has a heart for the harvest is full of people who go, listen, I might not be perfect. I might not be everything I ever thought I would be. I'm broken. I'm flawed. But I'm seeking Jesus. And I have encountered him. And when I encountered him, you know what he told me? He didn't say, you're shamed. You're bad. You're evil. He said, you know what? If you would just lay it before me, I'm going to make you a bucket. I'm going to fill you with living water. And you know what you get to do? You get to take it back to the town, to the dry land, and just pour that stuff everywhere. Everybody's getting it. And it's not going to run out. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ is that he says, if you're called to have a heart for the harvest, then just leave it behind. Stop carrying it. How much time have we wasted and energy have we wasted carrying jars full of things that do not sustain us, will not keep us, and are just going to, they can't go to the grave with us. Leave it behind. And I love this last part. John 4, 31 through 38 says this. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> like, I just, okay, hold on. Never mind. <laughs> it's not important. Like he's hiding it like it's behind the well. Anyway, <laughs> that's stupid. Uh, it says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of the labor. So the woman goes back to the town. I just want us to like picture it. If you're a hypervisual and you got to close your eyes, close your eyes, whatever works for you. But she goes back to the town and she begins to tell people. And what really moves people, and I wasn't there, but I can guess, is a life transformed is greater than anything that informs, right? Is that a life totally transformed is, is telling. It's the show and tell principle at its finest. If your life is transformed, people will notice. And if they're not noticing, maybe go back to the encounter. 
But anyway, that's a side note. That was too convicting. I'm sorry. That's like eight sermons in. Um, <laughs> people are like, you got to slow down, man. We were going to invite Dana back. <laughs> but meanwhile, the disciples, they say, eat something. So what's happening is she goes back to the town, and all of a sudden people start coming up the road. People are coming up the road. They're walking up the road to the well. Think about this. A town full of people who are religiously, politically, ideologically, everything about their identity is opposed, are walking up the road. Walking up the road. And there's this moment where they're coming up the road. They're coming to encounter Jesus. And the disciples are like, hey, so lunch break? Right? That is what's happening. It's not this hyper abstract thing. It's, it's totally practical as they're saying, hey, why don't you eat something? And Jesus is saying, listen, man, this is what I live my whole life for. This is my food. This is what sustains me. I don't care what kebab you just went and got. This is what gives me life and hope. And they're confused. He's like, this is my food. And they're like, who fed him? They still don't get it. They're like, who fed this guy? Did Judas feed this guy? I'm getting a bad feeling about Judas. Next family dinner. We're talking about this, right? You know, like who fed him, right? And, and he's trying to open their eyes to say, look, it's coming up the road. It's not abstract. It's not in the future. It's not like how many generations of churches have lived and died saying there's a harvest? That wasn't in the notes either. Jesus is trying to get their, <laughs> them to open their eyes to what's happening. And he's saying, listen, this is what sustains me. This is what fuels me. I'm ready to do the work of God. And Jesus says, the harvest is now. Can I tell you, if you live your life, I just want to give you a precursor, uh, knowing this about if you live a life that has a heart for the harvest, people will not understand. It is difficult to understand when, when you don't have a heart for the harvest and you see someone who does. Why are you giving like that? Why are you serving like that? Why are you using your days off? This is your day off. And you're like, you know what? This is what sustains me. I don't even know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow, but the harvest is coming up the road. I can see them. I don't got to go far. I can look right there. There they are. What, I'm going to eat food and let them go to hell? What do I want to do? He's right there. And so Jesus is saying the harvest is coming right up the road. And he says this quote that I love. It says four months until harvest. Somebody say four months. Four months. Four months till harvest. And this was a quote when they would plant. They would, they would do this hopefully. Planting is back-breaking work. And so you just, this is like, it's like a begrudged mantra. Four months till harvest. All right, we got to make it. Four months till harvest. Like, this sucks, but we're going to eat in four months. Like, this is going to be good. This is going to be worth it. We planted this church in the heart of Scottsdale on November 5th. It is now March 4th. Four months. The harvest is here. We don't get to say four months till harvest. We did four months. Then we did three months. Then we did two months. Then we did one month. And I'm going to say, look. It's coming up the road. The harvest is here. The harvest is here. And I believe that Jesus is looking for a church just like this woman to say, listen, you are uniquely blessed and gifted to go into your scenario. Her scenario was messy and still to go into your place and bring the gospel. You're wondering, why am I here this morning? I'm so different. I'm so different than the people around me. Why am I here? And I want to tell you, because God has made you to be a bucket to a place that I cannot be. 
right? Theo's place and my place are different. My place and Jacob's place are different. They're different places. But God has built you to be a bucket, to take the living water there. You might have put when you were a kid race car driver or firefighter on your thing that you wanted to be. But Jesus is like totally wiping that out. He's like, veterinarian, that's rad. But you know what you're going to be? Veterinarian slash bucket. That is your new title. <laughs> you are you are mother slash bucket. You are father slash bucket. You are pizza hut worker slash bucket. Whatever you are, this is your identity. In fact, I'm going to put it in the front. You are bucket slash you also do this. And so you might take your, your living water back to pizza hut right across the street or ATL or wherever you're going to next. But you are gifted to bring it there. And Jesus is saying, look, they're coming up the road, so I need some people. And what you would think is that the disciples would be the people who are like, yeah, Samaria, we're going to win it. But what it actually it was is this woman with five husbands who, it, you know, most people would use words that we cannot use in here to describe. That is who saw the harvest. And so sometimes when we feel like the outsider, no, you're just the exact bucket that Jesus is looking for. You're exactly who he wants to pour into. Because he knows that you care enough about those people that are your friends that are still back in Samaria. And that are going through something that you're going through that you can bring them to it. Can I tell you, church, the harvest is here. It's here. I don't mean that abstractly. I mean it's literally here. Some of you in this room. Jesus wants to put the living water of hope. You've been going to the counterfeit for love, and he says, come to the real source for love. It's here this morning. It's here for you. You came here because you saw a sign or your friend convinced you. He told you you're going to get Lolo's after. But in reality, you came because Jesus wants to put his living water in your heart. And he wants to say, listen, you've been going to these other things and you've been searching for purpose and identity and, and, and who you're supposed to be. But it just runs out and then you're disappointed. Then you find new things or you make new money so you can buy new things. But the reality is this source is garbage. I'm going to give you the real source of living water to put that in me. And just because it's day one, you're not disqualified. One of the greatest evangelistic efforts in this moment occurred from someone who had been saved for 25 seconds. She didn't have everything memorized. She didn't go to starting point. She just went. And I want to say the harvest is here this morning. I see in Scottsdale, man, when I, when I dream, when, I, when the Lord just gives me visions and dreams, I, I believe there is a harvest season of salvations like Scottsdale's never seen. I believe, and I, I believe this with all of my heart, there is a unifying harvest from country clubs to strip clubs, right? From Porsche dealers to drug dealers. There is a unifying harvest that exists for the city of Scottsdale. If a church would say, I know I try to be all these other things, but all I'm going to be is a bucket, and I'm going to be full of the living water, and I'm going to go out and see it. I see a harvest season of business owners all around this city coming to know Christ. Businesses that we would never even imagine coming to know that the owners would come to know Christ and lead their whole staff. I see, I, I still believe when I came to this city, I said there is going to be a harvest. And this is like Dana just mentioned Thailand and we felt a heart, same thing. That's one of the ways we felt unified. I said, I, I believe three T's, Thailand, Tempe, and Tijuana. I believe that. I believe a harvest of souls. I believe what unifies borderlines that think they need walls and all these things, what unifies in between Judea and Samaria is the gospel. And that's what I believe. And it's coming up the road. And I don't know how it's going to happen, to be totally honest. If I'm being super real for you, this is week one for me. Uh, and I don't know. But all I can be is a bucket. 
And so I'm asking this morning, I'm going to invite our band up this morning. Who here is saying, I might be in the middle of Samaria. I might be in the middle of something that I'm not, I'm not stoked on, I'm not happy about. But I want to be a bucket. That's what I want. I don't know every element, every avenue. I don't know every answer. But I can be a bucket. Some of you, you're facing hardship. And I want to say, don't miss the harvest because the hardship. I know it's been hard. And to be honest, no one can really know what you're going through. That's only you. That's only the Lord. But he has not forgotten you. How many times do you think that woman just laid there at night feeling ashamed, feeling forgotten? What love did she miss that, that led her to where she was? Just feeling unloved, unworthy. How many husbands do you get in for to feel like, ah, I'm just not, not worthy now? I'm not saying, I'm not joking, I'm not saying that's a joke. I'm just saying, how, how much have you gone to say, man, I, I just, I can't be used. And Jesus is saying, look, here's a harvest. Here's a harvest. It's coming up the road. It's harvest season. I know we've said four months till harvest. I know we've said possess the land. I know we've, we've had all these ideas and, and we've rallied on it. But so now it's at the door. So what are you going to do? They're coming up the road. And are we just going to keep going back and eating the physical thing, eating lunch on a lunch break, having lunches and doing the things that sustain us? Or are we going to say the harvest is here? And it might be scary. It might be people that the society thinks I should never even talk to, people I would never even want to talk to, people that I like to avoid, situations I like to avoid, things I want to avoid. People tell me all the time, like, it's hard for me to share the gospel at work, and I agree. Maybe that's your Samaria. And I'm not saying that we are living in an abrasive lifestyle, but that we are living an open one that says, Jesus, everything I am going through, all I seek to be is a bucket that is full of your living water and pours out your living water and says, you know what, I'm not going to compromise on the mission that he set before me. Would you fill me with your living water so that I can pour it out? Because there's a harvest season. It's here. And I don't want to be a church that rises and falls while the harvest rots on the vine. I don't want to see it because I believe in it. And I believe that often the people who feel the most in or unequipped are in the right spot to be a bucket in a place that only you can be. Would you stand with me? And would you grab that card that you got at the beginning? Is there a way someone can bring me one? Thank you, brother. I made this card. It says, Heart for the Harvest. And on the back it says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. And then there's three spots here. Here's what I want you to do. Just take a moment. And I want you to write down three people right here. Oh, thank you. I want you to write down three people here that you're believing for the harvest. These are three people. And when I say write down three people, this is a commitment right here. This isn't a like, I'm going to write down these people and hope that I live nice enough that they eventually ask me about the hope that I received. This is, I'm going to write down three people right here. And I'm going to tell these people about Jesus. 
I'm going to make it a little easier. I'm going to write down three people, and these are the three people I'm going to invite to Easter. I'm going to make a bridge there. Some of you are like, I'm not, I don't know how equipped I feel. I'll make it a little easier. Just like Jesus said, hey, why don't you go get them, bring them back, and we'll share. It's great. That's what I'm going to say. So here's what I want you to do. So I want you to write down three names right here. Take a second think. Three names where you would say, I am going to, I'm committing to invite these three people for Easter. Someone, I know someone's thinking like, this is all about numbers. You guys all about numbers. This is about numbers. I want more people going with me to heaven than I encounter that are going to hell. I'm about that number. Where they go after that, great. <laughs> but right now, I'm going to die. I, I, who saw Billy Graham stuff? That guy was about numbers. That's what I'm about. This church is about numbers of going to heaven, of believing, of living in hope. Numbers who are about living in freedom, not bondage. Numbers who are about living in joy, not depression. Numbers who are about living in the open-minded, clear-headed, clear-hearted love, not addiction. This morning. So I want to invite you. Write down three, three names right there. Once you're written down, just hold it. Say, I'm gonna, these are the people I'm committing to invite to Easter. These are the people I'm committed to right here. We're going to do a, this a couple times this month. But this time, I just want to take you this card and just hold that up for me. Just hold it up, this card. These are these three people right here. Let's see. I'll pick three. I'll do Kelsey, Jeff, and Jesse. There we go. Those are my three. People I'm committed to. These are the people. The, this is the harvest. This is, the, this is what's right outside the door, right out coming up the road. This is the harvest. And this church could spend $20,000 doing a mailer to do this. Or you could take as the bucket, as the fullness of the living water of God, and you could take it. And I'm not saying solve every problem. I'm just saying bring them. <laughs> bring them. Bring them in to a place where we're worshiping in the word of God bring them in to a place where they can hear the love, experience the love of a loving church family. Bring them in. So I do. I want, I want to pray this and then we're going to do something different today. You won't, you'll keep them next week, but this week I want to invite you. You know, I love the altar as an idea because when you lay something in an altar, you're making a commitment, not to yourself, not to me, but to the Lord. You're saying, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to put this on the altar and say, God, I'm committed to this. I'm going all in. You got to go all in eventually. I'm going to go all in, week one, and I'm going to lay at the altar. I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm just say this, then we'll pray. God, we thank you this morning that this is the harvest you have called us to, that no one is here by accident, no one is here by mistake, that you have called us here. And so, God, I pray right now for those who are seeking this moment or saying, God, I, I know people, I know people that need to know the hope and life of Jesus Christ, that need to know the hope and freedom of Jesus. And I'm going to make a commitment in just a second, Lord, and I pray you would stir my heart that we would bring it down, Jesus.
as we're in this moment of prayer, I just want to invite you, if you've never received the living water of Jesus, if you've never received salvation, if you've never stepped into the freedom that comes from the source of true love, I don't want to leave without giving you that opportunity. So if you're saying this morning, I've never received this, I, I, I've never really encountered this Jesus, but I'm encountering him right now, and I feel like I, I want to step into the living water, the source that doesn't run out. I've seen the love that runs out. I've seen the hope that runs out, and I want the living water this morning. Would you just raise your hand real quick this morning. So God, right now we pray as we make this commitment, God, we, I pray over every card and I say, God, with these three people, God, we pray, would you give supernatural encounters to God, that we, as we bring them to the altar, we make the commitment to say, we open our eyes to the harvest, to have a heart for the harvest. We leave the jar behind. We leave the things behind, the insecurities. We leave those behind and we step into our